All right, we are back for leg number 10 of the Amazing Race Canada, where teams traveled to Nova Scotia for the second to last episode of the season. And Jess is actually not here. She's on vacation. Of course, I'm Dan Heaton, but I have a special guest today. He is not a bad apple. He does not smell like horse. Here is Mr. Mike Blue. Mike, thank you. Of course. Well, Dan, I am a new dad, so I probably smell like much worse than horse. But I'm so happy to be here in lieu of Jess talking about this shocking penultimate leg. How do you like them apples? <laughs> you did it. Um, yeah, it was a crazy episode. You know, it's we Jess and I have been talking for a long time about the edit and kind of the Dave and arena story. And I originally thought they would go out possibly a little earlier. And then I kind of got convinced they were going to do well. And then she said they were going to lose in the finale, but Oh no, they are gone now. But before we even get to that, I want to know, Mike, this is the first time you've been on this season. What do you think about this season? Cause there's a lot of different reactions from people this season. Yeah, I actually was thinking about the last time I was on with you talking about Amazing Race Canada. Ironically enough, I think it was the last time they went to Nova Scotia. I'm pretty sure it was in season four when the twins got eliminated. Remember when they did all that like militaristic stuff and they were firing cannons? I'm pretty sure that's the last time I was on an episodic Tarkan recap. So what I'm going to say is the teams I from the start really liked I, I went so far as to even think that this might be my favorite crop of teams since season four and maybe it was just the personalities you know the the wealth of storylines that have come from them you know i would say now and looking at the way that they were edited i could take or lose uh, take or leave a couple of teams and we'll certainly get into them there's one in particular that i'm sort of fine with but definitely enjoyed the other three teams more in this episode in comparison to them so yeah putting that aside the teams are a lot of fun i I legitimately am not sure what production did this season i understand that they had to make a lot of impromptu you know additions and edits based on the fact that they are not going international and that is totally understandable and my heart goes out to them i know that's not an easy thing to do to do slapdash but it feels like even for the legs that were not you know made up on the fly it's it's really sad to say dan because i really love amazing race canada overall and i do not mean to you know impugn it in such a a harsh way but it kind of feels like we're starting to see the seams of amazing race canada in that it's starting to feel like the tasks that we're seeing them do are just not as I wouldn't say even grandiose, but epic or sometimes even fun than the stuff we saw even in the first season where it was a little bit more, you know, uh, more of a micro situation. There were still entertaining things going on there. The, overall, you know, I, I think that we're going to get to it. Uh, well, I'll put a pin in this idea that I think Amazing Race Canada has a major detour problem. And it just feels like with a lot of stuff that they're doing, there's like one thing, at least in each leg that you can point to and be like, that's a little lame. Now, that being said, due to the climactic nature of this penultimate leg, I thought it was one of the better ones of the season. But there's still faults over the course of this season that I feel like, unfortunately, counterbalance the, the good group of people that I've seen race across Canada this season. 
Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense to me because even when I mean we've heard Flack people say the cast is terrible, I have not seen that all season. I feel like you could put this cast up to most of the other ones and some they'll be better than and maybe a few um not as good, but it's very close. It's in it doesn't seem like an outlier there. But like Jess and I have talked about, I feel like there's especially been like three or four legs where I think something was off. It's almost like, like you said, something that doesn't seem right. Or for me, it always seems like, well, they could have done like we've had a bunch of episodes with no roadblocks, some with no detours, which I don't know if that's good or bad. And so they've really zoned in on they're still doing a lot of things, but not as much. We haven't had a lot of those. Oh, they have a leg where they do five things. Or if they do, it's something really basic like getting gas or something. Or or like getting stamps in a museum. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's there's always one of those, which is okay to a point, but it does kind of and I to personally I feel like I have not gone back and compared, but there has been a lot of product placement. I feel like there always is, but it's been a little clunkier maybe than than we've seen in other seasons. So I think I get where you're coming from. And while I've still enjoyed the season and this episode, I feel like had such high stakes that it made a difference or it helped. But again, when the episodes haven't had as high stakes or have been more kind of expected, that's where, like you said, you really see the seams and it just kind of is there. And I think part of, do you think part of this is just, we're up to season seven and the show things are going to be this way, or is this just, you know, they've had some switch ups. I know in terms of how it's produced and all of that, that there's like a bigger issue here. It's a good question because I mean, that's sort of a conversation I feel like with every reality show that's talked about on RHAP, especially those that are a little long in the tooth as to, is this just an inevitability due to producing X number of seasons. Seven still seems a little, a little paltry. I mean, I know Jess was saying like, Hey, amazing race season seven was, you know, still considered a top tier season, but I feel like it was arranged a bit differently. You know, they were going internationally. So I feel like that's almost a different race compared to what they're doing here, where I think what we're starting to see is, okay, we're staying inside Canada again, for the most part, for the seventh time in a row, we're starting to run out of things to do and say what you want to about, you know, other amazing race seasons. But I really do feel like the benefit of international travel is that the new location, most of the time affords you the ability to do new activities when you are limited in those locations there's only a certain amount of things you can do and not to say that you know there hasn't been there's there's been a good amount of really fun tasks over the course of the season and i felt like this leg in particular had a lot of really hard tasks to it which is also makes for you know some entertainment and also really tests the racer skills but i agree it feels like and I don't know if this is uh, true or not, just comparing it to other seasons, but it just feels like this season, the quote unquote easy tasks stick out a lot more. And I wonder, honestly, if it's less of a consequence of, hey, it's the seventh season and more so this is the seventh season where they're mostly racing in Canada. You know, I, I totally love and respect Canada as a nation. And I love the fact that they really do embrace this hometown spirit. But from a race design perspective, I would be interested to see if they spent half of the season outside of Canada, what that would look like and how much would that reinvigorate the producer spirit when it comes to designing things? Yeah, I think that's a great point, because we've talked about a lot like the legs. 
there's kind of a natural ebb and flow to a season, even of the Amazing Race Canada. Now that we've had five, you know, five seasons that were out of the country beyond season one. And there is kind of those periods where you're like, okay, this was a pretty cool leg. Now we're going to ramp up and we're going to go to Indonesia or to India or to Mexico or whatnot. And I think without that, then there tends to be, even when they do a good job, there's a bit of a sameness to it. And I think that's going to be interesting going forward because part of me thinks there'll be an adjustment. I think there will be some sort of adjustment, even though the ratings have still been pretty good. So the ratings haven't mm. really changed much. Yeah. I was going to say, do you think it's still going to be number one show and of the summer at the end of the season? I'm not sure because it's interesting. They had a really high ratings for the premiere with Jet and Dave, and then it dropped off and people were like, Oh, it's doom and gloom. And then it started to go back up again. And I compared it to last season and it's really not any different. Actually, I, I haven't looked at the average the last few weeks. I don't think it's changed really at all. Now, granted, you could say, well, last Last season, the ratings that they had actually led to what they did this season without going international. So there's always a thing. I think they're more likely to try and I hate to say do a gimmick, but I think we might be heading for an all star season. And I don't know if that's good or bad, but I think that's another way that maybe they would try to kind of ramp up the interest, because like we said, they, they can look at it and say, look. Jed and Dave were in season one. We got this big rating. Granted, premieres usually get big ratings, but maybe we need to have 11 teams like that. Now, there aren't 11 Jet and Daves, but maybe something like that. But I know that's probably more of a postseason idea, but I think we kind of know what the season is. We're down to one episode left. But um, so I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that they would do an All-Stars at this point? Because U.S. did it at 11, but when things you know, and even then with us, it was like we had family edition nine came back a bit and then 10. But I think right after family edition, they probably started to say, oh, this could be a concern. We need to look for all stars. So I don't know. It wouldn't shock me if they did it next season. If they do take the hint, amazing race Canada, put a non elimination leg on the first leg. I think that uh, I, I, I understand that, like, when it comes to mixing returnees and newbies, that it, it's never uh, totally fair, but it, it kind of sucked to watch those two <laughs> go out in the first like it's totally their own fault but i don't know i'm always a big proponent personally on making the first leg a non-elimination leg just i know it's a weird condition but i like to get to know all the teams and i i feel like one team always gets the short end of the stick if they're eliminating the first leg i know that sort of eliminates some stakes but i don't know i'd rather prefer characterization over climaticism i guess i mean i i think there's a chance it could happen, especially if the ratings are pretty good. And it's a way to, you know, bring everyone around. I mean, Sur- Survivor did all stars in season eight as well. And I feel like they could fill it with 10 to 11 reasonably popular teams, considering that, you know, they had two other teams from previous seasons that were interested in going back. You just bring them back and cold pepper it up. And I'm sure we're about to talk about one team that I feel like is a shoe in for an all-star season love them or hate them i mean you you and jess talked about this before but honestly even though we have one leg without them next week i feel like amazing race canada seven is going to be known as the david Irena season oh when all said it don't done. say that they're just going to take that and run with it now this you know i'm just joking but no i i don't really disagree that strongly i think that the season has been has other teams, but has been mostly about them or other teams' reactions to them. So here's the big question. We want I want to get into this leg, Mike, but I, I can't 
there's been so many responses to them, and most of them are very polarized. We have this is the best team the Amazing Race candidates ever had. They know how to play the game. They're changing the game. We have the this is the worst thing. They cheat. They look at each other's papers. You know the whole which we saw something of this week in a bit. Um, so what do you think, Mike? I fall more in the middle. Do you? I know you kind of like the characters even more than other elements of the show. What do you think of David Arena? I mean, you just look about. I mean, the rubric that I usually judge reality TV shows by. I think they're awesome characters. I have, with one exception, you know, I do feel like when the whole "Hey, you're ganging up on us for accusing us of cheating," the, the that Irina stuff specifically, sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Just because when it comes to reality TV villains, I think we all much rather prefer the people who know their villains and almost play it up as compared to those who think they're heroes, but they act villainously without even realizing it. Uh, and I feel like that was an Irina moment that definitely fell into the latter, but for the most part, they've been former. And what I love about it is just, it's been so over the top. And what I love about Amazing Race Canada is that it really does portray everyone who runs the race in a very respectful, positive light, which you can't say about a good chunk of reality TV. At the same time, when everything tastes sweet, you want a little bit of a different flavor profile, you know, a little bit of, of, of an herb put in there to change your taste buds a bit. And that herb this season was Dave and Irina. I can understand why people are pissed off with them. I mean, the casuals are just furious at them to the point where they're like, they're not even Canadian. They shouldn't be competing, which is like, OK, maybe don't go that far. Canada. They're still, you know, Canadian citizens and they're still an amazing race team on a reality show at the end of the day. But I loved what they brought to the race because it's so different from everything that we've seen before. And for the most part, I really didn't find it that harmless or over the top we did not go into jonathan and victoria territory i think you and jess comparing them to rob and amber and colin and chrissy 1.0 was a perfect merging unfortunately they did not make it to that spot that those two did both in their first attempts which is to power through the race make it to the end and lose out it's a little weird given their edit to have them go out and forth i'm still not sure how to feel about it yeah, I that is a little interesting because that is as Jess and I talked more about it. We even mentioned this last week where I thought it felt so similar and the way he was acting too, like you mentioned the more I know I'm being villainous where him talking about how he won the axe tournament and all of that. But basically it felt like they were going to come down to like a last task, like some sort of big memory or they don't always do memory, but something like that. And that would be where it would fall apart. And to have it go here, I think it's just the show looked at it. And again, the, some of the legs were not that thrilling. We had cases where teams fell behind and were kind of far back. So I think the the editors really just zoned in on them. And judging by who I think is going to win, I think um, they felt like that was what they had to do because I like the team. I like Sarah and Sam. I will say it. But I don't think, you know, they're not, they're a different kind of team. They're, they're very upbeat. They're very positive. They're also, you know, they're being role models and such. It's just a little, it's a different reality TV type. And I think they, we wouldn't just focus on them. And in the past, we've seen teams that were a little crazier. I mean, in a different way. I mean, I know I mentioned team giver now again, rest in peace, Kenneth, but again, that went out at the end 
but also got all the attention in their seasons. So I guess that's just how it kind of fits with the way they've been editing lately. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of if in Amazing Race 27, Justin and Diana end up getting eliminated instead of uh, Tiffany and Krista in that penultimate leg, in that this is a team that the vast majority of the story has been around. It feels weird to lose your big character in the second to last leg. And maybe it was a thing where the editors were like, we've never seen a team like this before. They're bringing a lot of drama. So we need to orient storylines around them because it's not like we haven't had quote unquote villainous teams before. We had Pierre and Michelle. We had Brett and Holly. You could argue we had Hal and Joanne, even though they sort of fall into that other camp I was talking about of people who think they're heroes, but actually act like villains. But there was so much story dedicated to them as personalities. It's a very weird season in that losing them right after Artie and Thinesh, who were not only the two most dominant teams of the season, but two of the biggest character teams of the season. It's weird to leave these three teams at the end. And they're still interesting personalities. I really don't think we found like the the drywall team like we might see in some U.S. finals. But it's really weird to lose the two, you know, most edited teams in a row and have them neither one of them make the finale. Yeah, I mean, those two teams won seven of the first nine legs of the show. And granted, it's not all about winning. But like you said, I also feel like but those two and Anthony and James got the, the most editing time for the basically the whole season until the last few weeks, we've seen more of Sarah and Sam the last two or three weeks. So it's interesting. Now I, I guess we should actually talk about the leg. I feel like we could do an hour just on what's going on with the season, especially because we haven't talked yet, but let's dig into the leg itself. You know, they start out in Thunder Bay, the four teams get moving from there. All right. And then they go to the airport and they're flying out to Nova Scotia, where we go to the Tangled Garden for a very hard roadblock right off the bat, which involved, you know, finding things. But then especially whenever you have a task that involves smelling, I feel like that's always going to be a real challenge. So what did you think of this roadblock? I mean, for one person, it was smelling for everyone else. It was tasting. Uh, I think that I mean, to your point, this was very comparable to me of uh, I believe the penultimate leg in season four had a a sort of similar roadblock where they had to identify the flowers by smelling and touching them because they were blindfolded. And that seems pretty hard to me as well. It's tough. I mean, I do not fancy myself or gourmand, so I could not imagine not only differentiating between the seven herbs, but also tasting that specific herb in a jar of jam, which, you know, has its own tastes as well. So, I mean, it it seems extremely difficult, though, of course, Anthony has had experience (laughs) with this before, so he killed it. But I feel like everyone else, especially poor, poor Sarah, who I feel like maybe the keep on racing leg was enough to build up some true amazing race killer fatigue, which made for some interesting meltdowns over the course of this episode. But I mean, their game was nearly sunk right there. They were in the quite sticky situation, even without getting honey in their hair. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point about the tasting, because it is something where it actually is not as much 
for the most part, unless you're again, you're you're Anthony, who's just like um, has I've got my own process. This is what I'm doing, and I'm oh my gosh, you know, uh, those guys. And I did love, I always love the ironic use of the blue Danube in reality shows, and to have it punctuated by his sniffing was a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you know, it's like, oh, this is going very well. And then he falls down, and um, wonderful oh, he job. Ate it much like much <laughs> like he ate the herbs. Nice work, amazing Ace Canada editors. We, I've, I sometimes talked about the editing being weird, but there's been moments like this with the music where it's just like somebody was high five and somebody when they put all that together. That was it was brilliant, and this really this first roadblock set up Anthony and James for a pretty smooth ride, basically where they led and they led all the way through and got into the finals. And that's a case where I feel like they've had their struggles here and there, but they seem to have the most diverse um, abilities in terms of tasks. It seems like, and each one has their own things they can do. I don't know. They're, they're one of those where we even got a question about this. We're like, have we had a team like this? We have had some in the past, but rarely a team that seems to have so many different things that they've done. And it makes them really tough racers. I am blown away. Like, I don't know if this is a case where like, you believe in reincarnation and these two guys have had the lives of about nine different people <laughs> inside of them. And that's why they know all these things. I mean, like you said, I know what's happened before you brought up Ron of Ron and Christina, even Mickey and Pete had sort of these weird, I call them slumdog millionaire moments where it's like, Oh, we have to do this task, which is comparable to this random thing I did in my childhood. But it's ridiculous. Ridiculous. The variety of things that they know. And maybe it's this idea of uh, living on a reservation and living off the land is giving them a natural aptitude to do things with their hands, which is all you do in Amazing Race, basically. And maybe that's why they struggle with things like the robot task and the drone task, which had, didn't have anything to do with your hands. It was more so looking through technology. Maybe that's the big thing behind it. But I am still astounded at how successful they've been by just approaching something and being like, oh yeah, I did something like this. Here, let me take care of it. I guess the one exception here was the uh, the sledge skating, which we'll get into, where despite you know spending a, a childhood skating, we saw uh, in Big Brother Canada season one, there was a similar thing where a guy who I would say would not traditionally be stereotyped as a hockey player was someone who won a veto competition based on doing slap shots because he had done hockey in, for his entire childhood. Didn't necessarily work with the uh, with the the sledge hockey, but they just astound me. And it's their story is so cool to me, just because it might be the most unique story I've seen on not only the Amazing Race, but maybe on any reality show in quite some time. You know, I I, I do think that Canadian reality shows have done a better job of First Nations representation. Uh, you know, there was a, a contestant on this most recent recent season of Big Brother Canada who did that, but to also have them be, you know, two spirit, which is essentially representing a third gender for them to be gay, for them to, you know, be in that community, but then to also have medical, you know, aff uh, affiliations to them as well. They're just very deep, complex people which is interesting because I feel like their edit is anything but personally. Yeah, it's so here's here's a question about them is because you could read it different ways. I don't think they're going to win. I almost I feel like their edit has been they're you know, they're great people, which they are. And the, but the edit is very like they're nice. They're great people. They're 
you know, everything that is true. But and we have learned some stories about their past, which I found very interesting, and they've glided through the race and done a really good job. But do you think is this a winner's edit, Mike? That's the big question. I mean, it's always tough with Amazing Race Canada, considering that last season's winners came literally out of nowhere. When people were like, "Okay, you had Taylor and Courtney, which had the more the head thing of, yeah, they won the most amount of legs. There was the Dylan and Kwame, which was maybe the heart of, okay, they sort of have this really impassioned, you know, we mentor, believe in yourself storyline. And then Adam and Courtney just sort of came out of nowhere. And so it's tough for me to almost coin an amazing race winners at it, because I would also say that we have two teams they're appropriate to that. I really feel like we have little spurts where Anthony and James and Sarah and Sam have little spats and little things that go wrong. For the most part, I feel like both have teams have had an extremely, extremely positive wash. And it that makes it really tough for me to discern who's going to win. I mean, even look at Anthony and James at the beginning of the leg being like, we're doing this for anybody who feels like they they're out of the box, you know, or feels like they're caged in like, I don't know how a team cannot win and say that because then it means like, okay, are those types of people losing this season (laughs) of the amazing race? But again, Sarah and Sam, and unfortunately they seem like great people, but I'm not, they're fine as a team, but I would say they're a little milk toast in that. I feel like here's a question for you. How much of Sarah and Sam's edit? And I know I'm segueing teams here, but how much of their edit do you think is impacted by the fact that they're Olympians? You know, do we think we would have seen more warts to their team and their personality if they weren't representing the country next year in the Olympics? That's interesting. I hadn't really thought about that because I've been kind of viewing it from the lens of, well, they're probably going to win. So but the thing about it is, is that that doesn't mean they have to be presented in such a straightforward way, because we have seen situations in the past where even, you know, Adam and Courtney last season, I feel like there were moments where they were struggling. They weren't getting like struggling with each other, but they were struggling more. And I know Sarah and Sam did have their moments like where they got lost and, or, you know, had to get help and they were out of money and all those things. But I agree, especially lately, I feel like it's been, especially with the word of the leg and all those things. Yeah. And I don't, and I don't mean to sound, you know, pithy or sardonic at all because the work that they're doing is fantastic and essential to the community. But the word of the day feels very Sesame Street to me. I'll be completely honest. It really does. (laughs) Yeah. And I so that's why I wonder it could have they could totally finish third. And it's just, again, because one, they're likely very nice people. That's everything I've seen, even from the limited interactions online. They seem very nice. But two, also, the Olympian factor is really interesting. But going back to um, to this task itself. So before we continue on this task, this is the perfect time to introduce our favorite segment. Mike Bloom, you get to be a part of this, which is weird or Canadian. Take it away. Weird or Canadian, eh? All right. So this week on this task, John introduced the what I would call herbs and what many people have called out would call herbs, including our own Jessica Lee, who submitted this question and he called it herb. So now I did do some little background on this, but I'm curious for you, Mike, before I kind of reveal my, you know, nerdy research is how would you say this word? 
So I personally would say herb, but that being said, as Americans, we have very odd ways of saying things. I thought for a second that maybe it would be seven men named Herb who would be giving out the jelly, (laughs) and that's why he named it that way. But from what I recall, I believe, I know across the pond in the UK, they also say Herb. So I'm just wondering if it's like a... And an English-speaking country thing for everyone except the U.S. to refer to them as herbs. Well, you are right where you need to be here because I did look this up. I actually found a story in the Toronto Star from 2009, which said that basically in the British have used the H, but not until the late 19th century. But so that is a British way to say herb. But now to this day, most Americans say herb. And according to this article, about 50% of Canadians say herb and the other 50% say herb. Now, again, this was 10 uh, years this, ago. Is this, a, is this the Canadian Laurel Yanni situation? <laughs> I think I think maybe it is. This is one of those weirder Canadian that is sort of Canadian. I guess you'd say Canadian more than weird because it does have an actual history. That's so interesting. Would you, would you say history or history? <laughs> that's so interesting no no not right not right at all (laughs) exactly i mean maybe it's a thing of i don't know maybe it's like the people who say with the age have a certain personality type or a certain uh nurturing style from being raised as opposed to the people that don't say it i feel like there could be an entire study outside of that toronto article about what it means if you say herb instead of herb i can't remember did the contestants like what was their did they all copy john or were there various pronunciations of it Everything I heard was herb. I didn't hear any of the contestants say herb. Now, at least from my memory, please, listeners, correct me if I'm wrong. So I think this is a case where herb is pretty common. (laughs) But again, we're using our big sample size of like four teams. So I don't (laughs) want to make assumptions about the entire country based on four teams. Very fair. Can I also talk for a second about our task judge here, Barbara? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, the people of good and bad that are these tasks judge. But Barbara's a little sneaky, in my opinion. Barbara, I feel like you have to be usually impartial as a task judge, right? You have to be like, that is correct or that is not correct. You and Jesse made a lot of fantastic jokes about the deadpan that some people give. But Barbara, sneaky little Barbara, sidles up to the teams and says, almost there. (laughs) Should that be allowed? Should she be be hinting to them like, hey, you're close. So don't get paranoid. I wonder if she was told she could say that when they got to five right, because that was typically when she would say almost there. But other times she would just be like, no, I think. But a part of it could have just been she was having a lot of fun with it. And the producers were like, we like it. That's gold. That's good. <laughs> Give us more, Barbara. Come on. <laughs> because a lot of the tests that we'll get to, you know, this is an interesting case, though, where unlike a task we will see later. They don't tell them how many they have right, which is actually fairly right. common with Amazing Race. It's actually the one in the future is not as common. But I feel like that is what partially made this. If you knew how many you had right, this would be pretty easy due to process of elimination. But in this case, even, you know, Dave struggled for a while and um, it was just a case where everyone, for the most part, besides Super Anthony, had a hard time with this because of that. You kept changing it and overthinking it. Yeah, listen, do not uh, talk down Dave's palate too much there, Dan. Gordon Ramsay's got nothing on him, apparently. (laughs) He's the best of Ed everything, except for this time he was not. 
Except for <laughs> except for sorting apples. Uh, but he, it's so I mean, it's a true Dave thing as well, though, where he's like, I know rosemary because I put it up. You put it on your steak, which is like such like a, a first world way of looking at rosemary, in my opinion. I'm like, <laughs> nobody puts rose. No conventional wisdom says, oh, yes, you must put a sprig of rosemary on your steak. It's more so like, hey, find whatever is in the fridge and maybe put it on steak and make some steak sauce. Nobody's really reaching for rosemary and their in their herb garden, herb garden to uh, to place upon their delicate filet mignon cuts. Well, this is another way that Dave is on a different plane from all of us. But I should also mention Sarah, too. Here, The reason she didn't do well unfortunately is because all she eats is plain chicken rice and broccoli so this is something i guess personally i should start thinking about you know i don't always eat plain chicken you know or boring chicken as you will but i um i need to focus on more spices because as you see it could really hurt my amazing race chances yeah hurt your amazing race chances (laughs) i think that yeah, it's so interesting how she was essentially done and like this is the opposite of a five hole. Her career path specifically made her excluded from the skills required to perform this task. And I mean, listen, all the power to her. She's she's absolutely killing it and she's buff as all get out. But I don't know how much I would give to be able to just give up the ability to eat at least a uh, you know a moderately varied diet, and instead have to eat every day plain chicken, rice, and broccoli. You gotta feel you'd be tired of that after like what two weeks of seven days straight eating that. You would think, but that's the kind of dedication it takes, Mike, to become an Olympian. You have to just push through the pain of eating the same thing over and over and over again. The word of the day is unseasoned. <laughs> See, that would be more fun. That strength. I mean, sure. No. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the thing, though, is like it feels like it can be applied to everything. You know, I, I do agree that like maybe like a, a word to recap the leg would be a little better than a motivational one to start it, because I feel like, yeah, strength could be the word of this leg. Why would it not be the one of the past nine? And I'm assuming the next one's going to be like victory or finish line or something like that. Yeah. When I, I, I would prefer something a bit more, you know, specific. But that being said, uh, they're they're doing something for themselves that's motivational, and clearly it works. So I cannot grouse too much. No, no, it's I much just kind of it. It just it's a little goofy, but it does fit more with like I like to talk about the Amazing Race Canada and kind of how things go here. It's like, oh yeah, they got a word of the leg. That's that's kind of how things go. <laughs> but, um, you know, a little bit to that way. So should we move on to the big detour? Let's go to Puck and Apples. Yes. <laughs> the choice is Puck or Apples. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love this because they didn't even try to go for any sort of poetic links which they're going to do later on with the song lyrics anyway, so maybe they feel like they use it up with those tasks, but they're like, okay, we have pucks and apples. We can't come up with any sort of like rhyming link or, you know, assonant link between them. Okay, what if we bring them to a roadside stand called Puck and Apples that sells hockey pucks and apples, and that'll help explain the detour choices. Well, hold on here, Mike. I have, we have to do this again with more Weird or Canadian. This was again, (laughs) Jessica Lee just wants us to do weirder Canadian the whole episode. Basically, this is I don't know why I'm saying her full name like she isn't normally on the podcast. But so basically, Mike, 
In your many travels around the world, have you ever seen a roadside stand selling apples and hockey pucks? Would you call this weird or Canadian or both? So, you know, I did spend a good amount of time about seven years ago at this point touring uh, rural Canada, a lot of rural Saskatchewan and uh, some Manitoba as well. And I got to say, I never did see a roadside all-in-one hockey puck and apple stand. That being said, it's not a terrible idea if you're looking for like your one-stop shop for all things. If you're late to hockey practice and you want a little snack, you can just go to one place instead of going to two different places. I feel like that saves people time and, and brings people into the little roadside stand that you have. But I also feel like this is a thing where as Americans, if you say like, give me the, the you know, g- give me a Jeff Foxworthy, you're so Canadian that I feel like saying you're so Canadian that there's a roadside stand that sells fruit and <laughs> hockey pucks would not be that far down the list of possible one liners you could come up with. Well, it also says something for me having, you know, just knowing what I know of Canada and watching the show that I saw that and I was like, yep. Yeah, that seems about right that they'd have that. It didn't even really <laughs> ring that odd to me until some people brought it up. So I, yeah, I'm going to go with Canadian here. I think, I think that's the choice, even though we did call out, has anyone seen this? And no one had really seen it on this level. You know, a shizzle mentioned. Could this, wait, could, could this be a new sponsor, Dan? <laughs> I think so. This- you know, you're talking about for the podcast or for the amazing race mm-hmm. Canada. For the Amazing Race Canada, this is the new, this is the Puck and Apples challenge. And I think they're, maybe they were trying to get hot, you know, before they made it big. I know that Disney (laughs) sponsored when they're already big already, but it's like, okay, we got to get it on the ground floor. Let's find a reality show to sponsor. So everyone is drawn to just how convenient of a concept it is to get your sporting goods and roughage in one place. Yeah, it's not a bad idea. I mean, a shizzle mentioned that um, has seen fruits and golf balls at a stand in Alberta and British Columbia. So to me, maybe this is a trend that's just overtaking our world, which is, you know, maybe somewhere here in the United States, somebody is selling, you know, I don't know, footballs with um, with some sort of fruit. Maybe this is a big thing. Though I will say they weren't they aren't exactly compliments to each other because, you know, taking a hockey puck to the teeth means you probably won't be eating apples anytime soon. That is very true. It does not work. All right. Well, let's get into the detour itself, which we had, of course, one option. You go to Acadia University for some sledge hockey. And the other option is you go and sort a bunch of apples. Now, I eat a lot of apples and have had a variety and have my opinion. So for me, I would think that would be easier, but correct me if I'm wrong. That was definitely not easier. Right, Mike? Yeah. So I mentioned before, Amazing Race Canada has a slight bit of a detour problem where you guys mentioned this before. I feel like, unfortunately, they're just having a little bit of difficulty this season finding two tasks that are balanced each with their own pros and cons. Like all the way back in leg two where it was, oh, you know, paddle two kayaks that are awkwardly tied to one another versus plant 30 trees in a very specific way. Or, hey, do this very intricate dance and song versus go up a funicular about three or four times and finish a puzzle. Or you mentioned the square dancing versus the maze or the, the biggest one was the beer versus the robots, the former of which was never done. And unfortunately, I feel like it's another case here where the the sledge hockey was by far 
the better thing to pick to the point where the first two teams did it. Sarah and Sam passed two other teams just by doing that one detour option. Whereas the other one outside of the clams, I'll be honest, I cannot think of a harder task this season. This just seemed absolutely ridiculous because it's not like it's a bundle of apples that are all carbon copies of one another. You know, the apples still might be the same type but they all might be a little bit smaller or have different coloring just because they're apples. They're different. They're like snowflakes. So it's, it seems just crazy to me to have to sort through 12 different varieties of apples. And sure enough, it was Dave and Irina's choice to pick that task that I think was their, their unfortunate downfall here. Oh yeah. I think for sure if they had picked puck, I think Dave and Irina would have made the finals because I, even the way that it was set up, you saw that, um, Puck was hard. I'm just going to start saying sledge hockey because puck sounds weird to me to keep saying over and over. Um, sledge hockey was hard and you saw, you know, some some goofiness where everyone kind of, for the most part, especially Anthony and James were ahead and we really got to see them struggle on it. But for the most part, it seems like this. Let's say you did it 20 times. You're only having to beat a minute clock. Right. So you take a little break, you get set up again. That's like a half hour if you're the only ones there. Now, we didn't see where teams were there together and how that would have worked. Maybe that would have made it you have to rotate back and forth, and that could have made it more complicated. I don't know if they could have flipped it around to the other goal. So this was hard on its own. But like you said, if it had just been one apple, like let's say 12 apples, put them in the right right way. That's That's not that hard. That's something, again, you're eventually going to get it. They wouldn't have probably sold them. But the fact that there was like eight of this one and so many of this one and so many of this one. Oh, my gosh, that had to have taken hours, I I would think. Yeah. Yeah. Considering that every single apple in a category had to be right. You know, it wasn't like the clams where it was, okay. you can just gather a big bunch of them. And it's not like, you know, you you could only bring in, you know, two of one type, three of another type. You can have a surplus here. No, they know that there's eight red delicious, you know, that there's nine Macintosh. And if you don't have those exact ones in there, then you failed. I'm glad they threw them at least a little bit of a bone in that the person did walk through and say, okay, these are done. They're locked in. These are done. They're locked in. But still, it's it's an immense struggle. I did think initially with the sledge hockey, which I will say, I really like that challenge. It actually reminded me last season's last face off when they did the uh, the wheelchair yeah. basketball. It's, it's another Paralympic type of thing. I personally did not know of sledge hockey, so I think it's something that's really cool slash a hell of an upper body workout. Uh, I guess what happens is like there's little metal teeth in the little sticks that they use, so you're essentially like. Uh, they're essentially you have skates on your hands, basically, as well as the skates in the uh, the the contraption that you're strapped into. I thought at first that they each had to do each side of the drill. I, I didn't realize that, oh, they just need to take a roll each and only one person has to score a goal there. Because uh, if that was the case, then that would have been harder as well, considering that, like, Anthony's passing skills, uh, you know, would have worked well had they flopped, but uh, had they swapped, but this sort of slowed them down. I'm assuming switching back might have also slowed teams down a bit. Would it have made them fall behind the Apple people? I still don't think so, but I think, unfortunately, this became another thing where, and this is probably our last detour of the season, where I think one task was just a large amount easier than the other one. Yeah, it's one of those cases where they 
I mean, Sarah missed the goal how many times? They had that whole montage where she just kept missing over and over before the Anthony and James, before that, the missing the pass montage that we saw. But really, all of that was kind of like in the maze, like the one you mentioned. Oh, that was probably in a few minutes. I mean, a fairly yeah. short amount of time. So by putting that time component to it, and it like, I don't, yeah, like you mentioned, it was a really cool task. So I don't want to sound like I'm down on it. I thought it was interesting to watch. Again, the Paralympic side of it is really cool. And also just, it is a challenge. That's good. All these are elements that I like to see in a task. The issue was, I mean, maybe this should be your root info task and you have some other detour or maybe the apples. I'm sure that they did the test of the apples and then realized that's why they had to have that judge tell you when you were done. But even so, I mean, you saw Lauren and Joanne did come in and pass Dave and Arena, though I suspect they weren't that far behind. And then again, we saw Dave and Arena later, so they it was pretty close. But there was a case where they would just be like, sorry, your situation hasn't changed. Situation hasn't changed. You still have the same over and over and over. And granted, teams were checking a lot, but that had to. I I think it was really unbalanced, but I also kind of enjoyed that test, too, though. So it's weird. It's like there's Mm -hmm. two tests that I enjoyed. Just they don't really go together. Yeah. I mean, maybe if they had lessened the varieties of apples, like if it went from 12 down to eight or maybe even six, that would be more palatable even Gordon Ramsay's standards. But I will say what it does bring out is, again, I still find it weird that Damon Irina went out before the final, but it is really interesting how they sort of became the bickering team. And I would say their performance was hindered a bit, not only by the task itself, by the fact that they weren't really communicating. And I think that's one example of them really stalling out at that like six out of 12, whereas, you know, Lauren and Joanne hung out there for a bit, but then they were able to ascend just because they're they're in good communication with one another. Right. That's a good point. And we saw this a bit last week with the situation with the drones, even though Dave and Arena ended up first, we still saw it where they weren't totally communicating. And he said one thing and then they eventually came back together. But that is one thing that Lauren and Joanne, for the most part, have done very well, is that partially being just sisters and having a really close relationship. Not that Dave and Arena don't. They also seem to have a great relationship, but it's very different. Those two just seem to think on a similar wavelength. So while they may not be the best at certain things that they're doing, they tend to kind of power their way through and they can make up a lot of time on certain, I wouldn't just say mental, but just ones that that are a bit different. Like even when they communicated, when they did the robots, they were very good at that. So it's just that seems to help them. And it did here because that little edge, there really wasn't much you were going to gain on that last task. Yeah. Lauren and Joanne are so interesting to me. They almost remind me of Canadian Lucy and Amelia from Amazing Race Australia, too, where, you know, they're a goofy all-female team who just uh, and, and sisters to boot that just like. They just get into all these shenanigans <laughs> that end up putting them in the back of the pack. I know they talk about like they have trouble getting lost, but there's also things where like they got there happened to be a car accident yeah. that significantly held them back. Last time there was a train <laughs> that held them back. Shades of the Amazing Race 6 finale. I I do love all the hijinks that unfortunately befall Lauren and Joanne that have just kept them in the back of the pack. Uh, but, you know, they have a spot here in the finale. I personally don't know if they're going to make it to the top, especially considering the strength of the two teams that they're competing against. But stranger things have happened in the amazing race. And from a personality perspective, I mean, 
they're a lot of fun. I do love how sardonic Joanne is. And I did love her line this episode about how, you know, very, uh, uh, <laughs> very self-effacing about how like, Oh, Damon and Irina are a little spook. Cause this is uh, the only time that we ever been, been in proximity of them during the entire race. <laughs> yeah. That was just like, like we're chasing them, which is not normal. <laughs> I loved her dance last week because she what they weren't last. And so it's easy to root for a team like that, you know, so that's, that's a case where, Partially because they haven't done as well, but they've also kind of approached the race that way. And Joanne is very funny with all of her dances and just kind of her approach to the whole thing, even when they made it. So I like that they're in the finals. I mean, they were also were a team that I drafted fairly high <laughs> just because I got some sort of vibe off them. I would not have expected they would have made it this far. I mean, they almost got undone by Joey driving like an old lady as it was told. Uh, yeah, let, let's let's talk about this cuz I mean speaking of product placement, uh yeah, let's talk about our tailgate camera task. So this reminds me of a US task. Like it were, there's they for a while US had these tasks where you would have all the people like the one where they had to kick open they could kick open the back of the truck or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's one where everyone's just like, "Wow, this is amazing." And this felt I the funny thing is I like the part about the song, which is so goofy and I enjoyed very much and then singing it. But then the Chevy stuff almost just like, I mean, yeah, my I have a Prius and it has a backup camera that works fine. This is not that nuts, Mike. It's not that. Yeah, I was going to say, so is, is, it, is this is this the Chevy trucks version of the backup camera? Because I thought it was weird how they had to put the tailgate down yeah. and then activate the camera. Like it made me think maybe this is just my, you know, dullness when it comes to receiving this advertising. It made me think like, oh, the tailgate camera only works if the tailgate is down, which I was wondering, like, what use is that then? <laughs> maybe it's a different time. Yeah, because it's like, let's say you're backing into a parking spot or parallel parking. You're not going to parallel park and be like, okay, drop the trailer back. And then, <laughs> then you're like, slam yeah. it. It's like, no. So this is maybe this is probably something like Adam from last season probably could come on and just be like, Dan, this is the greatest thing ever. I have this beat up truck that I have where this is, this is everything. Unfortunately, Mike, you and I are not the best people to talk about this. I would assume. No, yeah definitely not uh you know i did drive a drive a pickup truck a couple times back in my day when i was touring across the canada canada like i mentioned before but uh i can't say a tailgate camera was sort of in the cards there i I thought this was fine fairly innocuous i'm very glad it was linked to the farewell nova scotia song because not only is that a banger of a song i loved getting to hear it but you know it ended in a, in a nice lighthearted, goofy way where even though there were big stakes you felt like even dave and irena who like you know they knew they were in last place they were still twirling they ran off the mat singing it so it was still like a nice cheery way to end you know the the most stressful leg probably of the season you know i could probably do without the back up your truck in a random field and read some lyrics yeah, this is on the level too. There's another amazing race US one where they just had to move the truck and really like move the truck and then some wood was there and then they got the clue. And they showed like this was I believe in the blind date season and I and it was might have even been near the finale. And I was like this is the dumbest yeah, say, thing I've ever hopefully, seen. <laughs> hopefully don't put Bergen and Kurt behind that car cuz that's going to end up like exploding <laughs> by the end of it. Uh I mean it, it, wasn't there also one last season where it was like 
pack up the car, drive the car five feet, <laughs> unpack the car. I, I think it was something. I think maybe they had to match up. And this is not my memory. There was one where I think they had to do that, but then they had to actually pack the car and then match up with like a campsite or something like there was something like that, I think. But yeah, it's just yeah, I know they have to get their their Chevy stuff in. So I can put most of the time. I don't find a lot of the product placement beyond the getting gas last week, which, oh boy. <laughs> but in general, I think they, I think the show really did try to, by putting the song in there and having them have to arrange the lyrics and then the dancing, it did, it did kind of take the sting out of it for me. And like you mentioned, I was a little nervous when I saw that Dave and Arena were in last and I didn't expect anything crazy to happen. Like you mentioned the Jonathan Victoria (laughs) kind of thing, but I did kind of get nervous. Like, how are they going to go out of this race? Because they've spent a lot of time winning and talking about winning and the fact that they're going to go out. And it was that moment where he spins her around and everything. And it's just, you know, I think part of it is they knew they were last. They did not have like, they may have even pulled up and seen the three other cars there. And, you know, it'd been really obvious, but still it, it was a good look for them. And I think, like you said, um, the show will be calling. They're going to when the show does all stars, they will call Megan and Natalie and then they'll say, OK, let's call Dave and Arena or something like that. It'll be I mean, we're talking non winners. They'll be one of the first ones they call for sure. Well, I think some stuff also helped their view of the race by the time they checked in. I mean, I read an exit interview they did uh, for the loop.com, which sort of shed some light on this. I mean, let's look at their situation. Cause I agree, especially considering how much uh, Irene in particular really liked to catastrophize when like one little thing yeah. went wrong and they weren't in first place. You wonder like, okay, are they going to have like a mental breakdown when they get to the mat here? A, It was the fact that they were going out so close to the finale. You know, it wasn't like they were eliminated halfway through after being such a dominant team. So it's like they almost explored their entire potential. B, they've expressed several times, much to everyone's chagrin, that they don't need the money. So, I mean, I don't know if the win was like as essential to them and as life changing as maybe some of these other teams that really do need the money to, you know, put to their various causes. And C... I think the biggest thing that made them smiling and singing as they left the mat is the fact that they can say in true Damon Arena fashion, no matter what, we won the most legs. So therefore, we were the best team. I mean, Dave even, you know, corrected John at the mat while John was trying to give them a eulogy there of like, no, we weren't just one of the best teams. We were the best team. So it's one of those things where like even losing in fourth place does not invalidate their opinion of themselves. And I think that's why they really skipped off with a nice lighthearted attitude. Yeah. Once Arthi and Thinesh went out, they're like, okay, it's like Sandra on game changers. They're like, just get, make sure we're ahead of some, we got to make sure that we're still in charge here. Oh, but it's basically just, I don't know. They're, they're definitely not a team that you don't have an opinion on. So I, yeah. I appreciate that about them. And regardless of some of the, the shenanigans, even more on social media, I still feel like they did bring some things to the show that were really interesting. Can we talk about farewell to Nova Scotia for a second? Because, yes. uh, yeah. So, I mean, I guess obviously it's like a Canadian folk song. I'm assuming it's really flagrant around Nova Scotia, maybe not anywhere else. But uh, I did like the fact that he provided like a nice MP3 file of it for them to listen to on the way. But I thought for a hot second, Dan, that this would be a random lyric memorization task thrown in right before the pit stop. That would be really nice, actually. I feel like 
they this was a leg where the detour was it. I mean, it was I mean, you saw it with Sarah and Sam where they were able to come back. So having them do one more kind of tough thing, it would have really given it would have given Dave and Ray a chance, but it also would have really tested the team's medal one more time, which I would have liked a lot. I mean, I'm from like a fan's perspective, it would have been a lot of fun. I feel like it could be a thing where like, let's give these racers a break. You know, let's make it sort of like a celebration of, hey, we made the finale. Let's sort of sing and dance to this uh, to this country tune. And so maybe it's a little more felicitous and a little less like, oh, my God, we can't get the lyrics right. And the guitar player is laughing at me. (laughs) What are we going to do? Because I guess they had already arranged the lyrics, which I feel like is actually a pretty tough task as well. You know, it's not exactly a song that has a logical flow to it necessarily where like it tells a story of this happened and then this happened like if you if you hand me you know a good i'd say a good 70 percent of songs and you're like okay arrange these lyrics and you don't know the song i feel like you have a, a pretty difficult time doing so if it doesn't necessarily have a good ebb and flow to it yeah then that's a good point and also too i'm looking at the lyrics here right now and what they had them start with i believe was the sun was setting in the west which Sounds kind of like the end of something. It doesn't really yeah. sound like the beginning, though it's sort of the beginning of that that verse or that, you know, that part of it. Yeah, well, and especially because the chorus is, you know, farewell to Nova Scotia. People would think that that's the beginning of it, right? I think that Lauren, like, equates it to a poem, and that sort of is how a lot of poems start off, right? It's like the, the title or the first line often evokes uh, what the title of the thing is about. And so I can understand why people would slip up. That being said, it didn't seem like anyone had that much of a problem with it and i mean it's got a it's got a really fun melody i went down a, a rabbit hole rabbit hole if you will <laughs> listening to some renditions of it i really liked a uh, gordon lightfoot's rendition of the song in particular look it up on youtube it's uh it's very fun oh i'm gonna have to look for that because i i intended to listen to it a bunch more times so maybe i could sing it to you but i'm not ready for that and listeners you're probably definitely spared by all of this <laughs> not happening um all right well i want to make sure we have time to get to questions but i'm going to ask you this question right here off the bat because this is the big question we've kind of gone around it i have said that my winning team that i think is going to win is sarah and sam so i need you to call it no power rankings nothing like that one team who's who's taking it mike I'll just be a contrarian just to make for fun on the podcast. And I'll say Anthony and James. I could definitely see how Sarah and Sam would end up as, you know, team number one. But I don't know. I guess between like your your Corey and Ivana and your Dylan and Kwame, I feel like it's been a while since we've seen true blue athletes win the amazing race, maybe since Gino and Jesse. So it's either going to be Sarah and Sam are a continuation of that streak or there'll be an exception to the rule. Oh, I'm sorry, Lauren and Joanne. You're the you're the lone representative in Team Dan. I actually made the finals this season, Mike. I did not lose all my what? teams. It's it's an improvement, and they be really fun characters to win as well. I believe someone actually online uh, compared them to like the sweet scientists yeah. from season 25, which would totally come out of nowhere. But I just think from an edit perspective, and if I'm looking at track record. Those two teams are the ones that have continually been more dominant than the third. So even though it just comes down to one leg, that's who I'm prepping right now. No, nothing personal whatsoever to those two lovely ladies. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, let's do a few questions. Owen Craig asks, 
do you think it was possible to fail at that singing task? Like, would they have accepted if Mike, if you were on it and you had just done a freestyle rap about Nova Scotia, would that have worked? Well, Anthony nearly did, right? That's an uh, an interesting dream. I guess the man has lived so much that his dreams are just very small at this point, considering how much he's accomplished. Where he's like, I want to be a rapper about Nova Scotia. <laughs> Listen, you do you. I guess if Drake could make his name as a Canadian rapper, you go super local with your stuff. It's going to catch big in one province and maybe then catch fire to the other ones. Uh, but I, mean, I feel like if you're relatively in rhythm and celebrating, we talk a lot about this with uh, with singing tasks on the amazing race, how it's like, I'd say it's about 30 percent. Uh, you know, it's it's actually 30 percent accuracy and about 70 percent enthusiasm. I feel like as long as you had that enthusiasm, nobody's going to be like, well, nope, you got to try again. Go back, back up your truck, learn the lyrics and then come on back. <laughs> I, I totally forgot it. I even asked that question, forgetting that Anthony's dream of being a rapper that that just came out of left field. But it was it kind of was great. I liked it. If you think if Anthony and James win, do you think he's going to like found his own rap studio? You never know. I mean, they've done so many different things. And why not? You know, take a shot. You can do it, Anthony. Strength. Your word is yes. strength. Their first single is called Puckin' Apples. <laughs> oh, man, that'd be interesting. Um, so real quick, I'm curious about a leg design question for you here from Jordan Chong. You know, one thing about this season, we got our ninth roadblock of the season this episode. We may get to next, so that would still be there. But Jordan Chong wants to know, if would you like to see more episodes with two roadblocks? And I'll expand this a bit. Where What do you think about the roadblocks this season? Does Have you missed the fact that, I mean, last season we had 13 in the same amount of legs? Do you feel like that's something this season's been missing? And if so, would you throw two in one, in one leg? The fun thing about roadblocks is that in a show that continually emphasizes partner dynamics, that's the one thing that really highlights the individual, right? And so you get interesting storylines where it's, oh, Travis thinks Nicole is slowing the team down. Now she has an opportunity to prove herself. Uh, you know, these moments where teammates might surprise one another or teammates might fail one another. And so I always enjoy the opportunity for teams to separate and be able to perform tasks individually. So I've always been a fan of the two roadblocks in one leg, especially when it comes to implementing strategy and how some teams just don't realize how, hey, maybe we should put this person on this task because there might be another roadblock coming up. Oh, no, we had the person who's afraid of heights now have to. I don't know, jump off a skyscraper or something. What are they going to do? So, yeah, I, I'm, I miss that. And I, you pointed out before that it is very odd that this season has inordinately had only one detour or one roadblock, not even a multiple, a multi, uh, you know, a, a plethora or a, a, yeah, a plethora of legs that have had, you know, detours and roadblocks in them, which feels like an amazing race staple. So I'd love two roadblocks uh, in the finale. I believe they had that last season and they can still throw a really hard memory task on top of that as well, which maybe makes the teams work together. But I've always been a fan of the roadblocks. So to see a dearth of them is it, it, it's it's not great. Um, give me more individual tasks personally. Yeah, I feel like, too, it makes some of the racers like you see some good moments where people 
really like you saw that when they had to do the speech uh, last week where when the teams finished, it was a big deal that it was exciting to watch them do that. Like, so I think having individuals where it's not just like, okay, the two of you both do something or like you mentioned with the hockey where you both don't have to do it. So it's like sometimes people get off the hook in a way. So I agree. I think that's great. So Mike, are there other things we haven't covered that you think we should cover? I don't think so. I mean, I think we talked, you know, longer than the runtime about (laughs) this penultimate episode of The Amazing Race. I will say again that this was definitely in the top half of the legs for me, just between the stuff that they did and the ending itself. I I still need a couple days to sort of, uh, you know, cleanse my palate and see how I feel about our two biggest teams going out in fifth and fourth. And so much of our reception of the season is going to depend on how things end. But I'll be very intrigued to see how you and Jess look upon the season and especially what Amazing Race Canada does with the season moving forward. Because like we talked about before, just like with any season of reality TV, there's good and there's bad. But at the end of the day, we're watching people have the time of their lives racing around Canada. And I feel like, ironically enough, nobody was a better representation of that than Dave and Irina. As much of a pain in the butt as they were to the other teams, they were enjoying their time there. And it really was palpable, especially when they were, again, ending their race, running off, singing farewell to Nova Scotia. Yeah, that's a great point about them and just in general, because, yeah, I can look at the season. I'm not sure. I want to see the finale before I like rank it and how I would rank it compared to the other seasons. But to me, I'm not that concerned. Like I've we've seen some really over the top comments saying the show is dead and it's terrible and it's destroyed and everything. I don't believe that. I feel like this is more of a speed bump and a course correction a bit that they're going to have to do here. And even if it's the most of the seasons are like this, I'm still going to enjoy watching it. It might not be, Oh, this is the best I've ever seen, but I'm still going to enjoy it. And I think they'll make some adjustments. They, some things are out of your control and then some aren't. Some of the leg design is totally in their control. So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it finishes and also what they do. I'm assuming they're going to have another season because the ratings have still been pretty solid. All right. Well, let me just do a little bit of housekeeping here. Like I will take on Jess's housekeeping, role. Dan, <laughs> a little bit of housekeeping ear. Um, so. If you listen to 10 episodes, 11 with the preview so far of this season's podcast, and have not actually watched The Amazing Race Canon, you think, now I'd like to go back and actually see what Dave and Arena are like. A great way to do so is to become a patron of Rob Has a Podcast, where you basically... We have some good friends in the Facebook group for patrons that help us out because... Unfortunately, we do not live in Canada and are not. There is geo blocking, so we have to find some other ways to watch it. So that is a great way to watch The Amazing Race Canada and also to connect with a lot of really cool people. I've been a patron since pretty much the beginning and not just because I do this show. It's just a great thing. And of course, there's so much else going on through the Rob Has a Podcast Network you know, we have Survivor starting up soon, Survivor South Africa, which Mike handles. Big Brother has been on, Big Brother 21, which I know people have opinions about, and so much more going on right now. And Mike, what are you involved with? Because I know you're doing about 95% of what's going on on the Rob Has Podcast Networks. Uh, so 
As you mentioned, I've been uh, I've been dipping my toes in a lot of international survivor this past summer. Shannon Gates and I like Amazing Race Canada, we are nearly at the end. We are going to be covering the penultimate episode of this most recent season of Survivor South Africa Island of Secrets, episode 17 this week with the great Josh Wiggler. It'll be really great to get his a Survivor, Bonafide Survivor experts' opinions on this season of Survivor. And speaking of island-based stuff with Josh and myself, we recently launched a podcast on post-show recaps that might be the most audacious thing that I've ever worked on so far. Down the Hatch, an episodic weekly rewatch of the show Lost. Lost is a show that is very near and dear to both Josh and my hearts. We're going up, we're coming up on the 15th anniversary of the series premiere. So we are doing a deep, deep, deep dive down the hatch each and every week talking about an episode of Lost. If you were a fan of the show, if you want to get back into it and you're looking for an excuse, check it out over on post show recaps. Outside of that, I'm covering the aforementioned big brother 21 for parade com and doing exit press every week and yeah survivor 39 is uh i think if people hold their breath for a few days they might be seeing some survivor island of the idol stuff coming out and unlike the amazing racers this season i did travel internationally about six months ago to fiji for the first time ever to attend the preseason of survivor 39 and i am so excited eventually to share the wonders i experienced in my journey and all the fantastic people i got to meet and talk to along the way on parade.com and on podcasts as well so that's what i've got going on dan september is a busy month and i'll be sad to see the amazing race canada go along with that yeah it's a really exciting time for fans of a lot of different shows i hope when you went to fiji you bowed in front of the statue of boston rob and of course of sandra those are the weirdest things i've ever seen basically i still don't know if they're they are the, they're even weirder to see in person trust me and weird in the best way possible but weird oh excellent all right well i want to thank everyone again for the great comments on rob next to this post you can also connect with us on twitter i am at the dan heaton and mike where are you on twitter I am at a Mike Bloom type. You can also go to parade.com slash member slash Mike Bloom. If you want to check out the writing I'm doing as well. Yes, you should definitely check that out. I also do a podcast about theme parks called the Tomorrow Society podcast. Mostly interviews, but some fun stuff coming up soon, including a big trip report where I get to go ride the Millennium Falcon or do something with that very soon. And that's at tomorrowsociety.com. I want to say thanks to Mike. And Jess and I will be back next week to cover the Amazing Race Canada finale, where Team Dan will take it. Go, Lauren and Joanne. You can do this. Mike, thanks a lot. Thank you so much for having me, Dan. All right. And we will talk to you again next week.